He's the Deacon Deacon Jeff Rosignol. It's a fine blend of discipleship and entertainment. Truth is here. Well, it looks like it's homecoming Sunday, so welcome everybody, all the homecomers. Welcome back, alumni. <laughs> no, it's a blessing to have folks come back. There's been, you know, what, I wrote that down. What did you say? Old faces worshiping in other places. That's, like a, that's good. That's really cool. And that just means, hey, God had you all equipped and trained to go send you out to be the salt in other places, right? Amen. That's right. So, all right. So here's where we are. We're in the book of Acts. But before we get into the book of Acts, I just want to, again, emphasize the awesomeness of last week. Um, we had church folk. We had a mixed group. We had, uh, of, there was, I guess, three or four different church groups represented. There might have been a couple or two in there that may or may not. We don't know their, their, their spiritual background. But this place was packed from the back to the front for 15 minutes of listening to little kids play music. And then I, I, as carefully as possible and as kid-friendly as possible, we gave the gospel message as clearly as possible. It was a tremendous blessing. You know, maybe we need to consider more activities like that because we know one thing, it worked. Hey, maybe deacons meeting, that needs to be our next discussion, is what worked? That recital brought the people in on a Sunday morning. No food necessary, no planning necessary in the sense of it didn't take a ginormous amounts of work other than the students, right? But it was once you let the parents know, they let the grandparents know, and this place was packed. So maybe we need to reconsider that. That might be one of those things. Maybe we need to do more recitals and such. Hmm? Yeah. Because if it brings in that one couple or that one person, and then we are able to give a clear understanding of the gospel, isn't that what it's all about? When you invite folks to church, isn't it so they hear the gospel? So it was like a gathering of encouraging Christians, and it's interesting how God has deployed His people into these other local churches to keep it seasoned, so, you know, with salt. And it's just neat. So, it, and it's encouraging because part of Christians in growing up is getting wisdom. And wisdom sometimes means to step back to get ahead. So in other words, you step back and you get a look at the bigger picture. And that's encouraging. So I want to encourage you. God's working in Papa. He's working through you as you live for Him. So I just wanted to put, put a little extra heat and light on that. So with that, let's go to prayer and then we'll get into Acts chapter 13. Good morning, Father. Get me out of your way that your truths would be lifted up, you would be glorified, that we would understand through the power of the Holy Spirit, and we would obey, because that's why you created us. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. So, there's a lot of information here. I'm going to give it to you as much as possible. Use whatever tools you have to catch as much of this goodness as possible and go home and to work on it. Um, and if I run out of time, I, I will stop and be merciful. Let's attack this. We're in Acts chapter 13. We've been going through the book of Acts. Again, this is a historical narrative. This is not mythology. We're going to have some fun today. 
um, and look at some exciting stuff. Now, this is Paul and Barnabas's Barnabas's first missionary journey. And of course, um, Acts was written by uh, Luke, and Luke wrote the book of Luke and the book of Acts. And I'd like to remind you of this. He was not a Jewish person. He was a physician, and he's the dude who wrote two of the books in our Bible. Okay? So, Paul had three missionary journeys that's recorded in the book of Acts. And this is where they begin. Uh, Acts 13, Acts 15, and Acts 18 are his missionary journeys. So what that means is he's, he's been anointed, appointed by people, by the, the apostles to go tell people about Jesus. Go speak the gospel. And so, and here's the map of the first journey. I don't know what you can see on this. But uh, here's Jerusalem. So he meets up here with his team, and then they set out. They go across the ocean to the Cyprus. They hang out at these two cities, and then they come up and go through this area, and eventually come back. Okay? There it is. So pretty simple. His, his goal is to go tell people about Jesus. All right? So now let's get into this. So, his ordination of sending and Paul of Barnabas begins in Acts chapter 13, 1 through 3. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Maine, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Okay, not much to say about that. We'll keep going. Of course, there's a lot we could say about that, but I'm going to keep going. So, Acts 13.4, So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. So, there it is. So, they're getting together. And I would like to say, do you think God is calling you to share the gospel with your friends, family, and neighbors? Now, I hope the answer is yes. And when I say the word calling, no, no. The word is being sent out by the Holy Spirit. We're commanded to do this. This is not optional. So if we get up tomorrow and say, I wonder if I should obey Jesus or not, that's bad. And if we're Christians, we don't contemplate and, I don't know, I have my own schedule. I don't have time to share the gospel. That's evil. We need to repent of that as Christians. That's the evil that's still left in us saying, should I obey Jesus or not? on something that is a command. Alright? So just to point that out. So let's go back in uh, Acts 3.5. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. John's a third uh, uh, a piece of this story here. But I just want to point out, um, first they always go, because they're Jews, they go to where the Jews are, the synagogues. The synagogues is where they have these big super scrolls and they 
and they're not allowed to touch the Bible. You got a you got a stick with a pointer finger on the end, and then you read the Hebrew with the stick. You're not allowed to touch the sacred scrolls as they read them, and then someone teaches on them. They still do that today. And uh, uh, Acts thirteen six, when they had gone through the whole island as far as uh, Paphos, they came to a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Barjesus. Now, wait a minute. What's he doing with Jesus' name, and why is there a bar in front of it? All right, is that type of motorcycle or something? So, who is Bar Jesus? He's a creepy wizard who did not like the gospel. Okay? Think of Gandalf. Thou shalt not pass! All right? This is Bar Jesus. And uh, Paul and Barnabas and John, they're there and, and, and they meet Bar Jesus. And Bar Jesus means son of Jesus, kind of like Ben, Ben, Ben Hur, or Bar. As a similar root word, but not Jesus Christ, of course. Jesus is a common term. Joshua, with the book of Joshua, lots of people are named Joshua. All right, but it also means Elimas, which is a wise man. So, in other words, he was a, a magic user. He was a wizard. He was, you know, and he was wise, right? And he's smart. So he's hanging out with the politicians. This Bar Jesus. So. Let's look at that encounter with the wizard. And you can't read that, so that's why if you have Bibles, that would be good. But I'm going to read it to you. So he was, Bar-Jesus was, with the proconsul uh, Sergius Paulus. Now, a proconsul is a Roman deputy. So Rome set out some government authorities down there to manage the area. So that dude's got authority. So what do you do? If you want power, you hang out with the people in power and get in there and become part of their team and they'll give you more authority and you get to say things and get, you know, power power struggles or whatever. So Bar Jesus was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence. That's Sergius Paulus, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus, that's Bar Jesus, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Paul, who was also called, I mean, but Saul, who was also called Paul, let's stop right there. Well, we're talking, this is the first time Saul's name is recognized as Paul, recording. All right? Because Saul, Paul, who are you talking about? Yes, the same dude. All right? Um, this is the first time where it's recorded that. Paul, being filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him, at Bar-Jesus, and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? Now, wait a minute. We're supposed to love everybody. That's not very loving, is it? Isn't Christians supposed to just hug and love everybody? Is that loving? To bar Jesus? Yes, it is. That is very loving to a guy who hates all goodness to say, dude, stand down or we'll take you down. You are against all that is good. And you need to know that. It is very loving for a Christian to point out to people when they are evilly wrong. And evilly is not a word. Alright? That is very loving to do that because their destiny is hell. And they've got one lifetime to figure out that Jesus is right. And it's very loving for you to point that out to them. And now, 
Paul goes on to encourage this. Behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind, unable to see the sun for a time. And immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. So here's this great wise magician. We don't need to hear from you, Paul. Paul's like, yeah, you don't know nothing. You're evil. You need to repent. And in the meantime, uh, you can't see. Bam! All right? That's pretty cool. So when, you know, who would win in a battle between Darth Vader and Paul? Paul would beat up Darth Vader. Paul would beat up Gandalf. Paul would beat them all up. Harry Potter's going down to Jesus. You understand? Paul always wins because Paul belongs to Jesus. Got it? There is no wizard out there who can beat God. So, uh, the proconsul was impressed with this. So then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Now, let's, let's um, unpack this here. He's... He's believing because he's seeing Paul just whip out superpowers. However, what really tipped him over the edge was the teaching of the Lord. Because the guy was wise. He was clever. He made, you know, Paul was bringing in a rational, logical discussion about who Jesus was. And he says, that makes sense. And then, then when this guy comes up, you know, the creepy evil dude comes up, he whammies him. Whoa. Maybe this, maybe this God of yours means business. Alright? So, but what was really astonishing to the proconsul? We're going to see that here very shortly. Now at this point, John says, Time out. Nothing more for me, please. I'm out of here. So, verse 13, 13. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Pergia of whatever that place is. That's really tested me on that. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Pergia and came to Antioch and Poseidia, whatever. On the Sabbath day, they went into the where? Synagogue and sat down. So, even Christians can go, wait... Wait, this is freaking me out. Okay? And that's what John did. And this is going to come back. John, what he did, is going to come back in a very serious issue between Barnabas and Saul, or Paul, later on. Now, here's a lot of words, so hang on, hang in there. I'm going to read to you what astonished the proconsul. And now you've got to remember now, Paul and Solibus are sitting in the back of the synagogue on, on a Saturday, because that's when they have church, so they're sitting in the back. Right? And then the sin goes, Hey, Paul! It's Barnabas. Come on up and share with us. Oh, okay. <laughs> How y'all doing? Right? And then I come up, and that's what Acts 13, 15 through 23 is. So I'll read this to you. After the reading of the Law and the Prophets, that's those scrolls, right? Uh, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up. And motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. Now that means men of Israel, Jews, you who fear God, non-Jews. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. Where is Paul starting? Moses, he's starting in the Old Testament. He's getting ready to tell them about Jesus. 
He went to the Old Testament, all the way back to Moses. Here we go. And for about 40 years, he put them, put up, he put up with them in the wilderness. What do you think of that? And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. How's that for a launching point? He goes right back to Moses and brings it right up. Once he gets to David, boom, he jumps right to Jesus because there's a connecting point there. And here's the connection. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. So he mentions the herald of the king, John the Baptist. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he, but... No, but behold, after me, one is coming whose sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Paul, brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. So he's gearing up. He's getting ready to serve that tennis ball. He puts it up. Of salvation. He's talking about salvation. He talked about the whole history. He talked about Jesus the King and something about a salvation. So the Jews already knew something about the Old Testament talking about salvation. That's not a Christian term, it's a Jewish term. Here we go. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize Him, this is Jesus, nor understand the utterances of the prophets, the Old Testament, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled fulfilled them by condemning Him, condemning Jesus. And though they found in Him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. So he's talking about, hey, everything that just happened about Jesus was already prophesied about. We read it every Saturday, Sabbath, for us it would be Sunday, right? They all knew about this. And then we get to one of those amazing holy buts. All right? This is one of them, 1330. But... God raised him from the dead. Hello! This is fresh news. This news isn't five, ten years old. This is fresh news. Alright? It's it might even no, it's even less than that, alright? People would have known this story. The Jews in that room would know something happened in Jerusalem a few years ago where they executed a guy. For, for just, I mean, people thought he was the king of the Jews and they had him executed. These people know because he's in the synagogue. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem who are now his witnesses to the people. So imagine being Paul and saying, 
We've witnessed him. We know people who today have seen this guy. You can ask them, right? Get on your phone, follow their Facebook page, follow their Twitter. You'll see that they were there with Jesus. All right, maybe I add a little bit. All right. Verse 32, and we bring you the good news. Gospel means good news that what God promised to the fathers, um, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, look at that, I underline that. As for the what? Fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. Paul is pulling from the Old Testament saying, listen, this Jesus, yes, he was supposed to die. It was written in scriptures he would be the suffering servant. Now he's alive again. And here's the scriptures that they believed supporting that. And now he's going to say, listen, this isn't talking about David because we know where David is. So he's, he's using logic and their own scriptures to point that out in verses 36 for David after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption but he whom God raised up did not see corruption let it be known to you therefore brothers that through this man Jesus forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you Now, only Jewish people would get this. Forgiveness of sins because the Gentiles, who cares? Sinning's the weekend. That's part of what you do. Jews are looking to get away from the wrath of God, to get away from the justice of God. They they know they're lacking. So you can't just do your best. You need to have your evil forgiven, forgotten. All right? So Paul is talking all about Jesus being the sacrifice. And in verse 39, And by Him, Jesus, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Now last week, we did the Ten Commandment test. We practiced that and everybody failed the Ten Commandments because that's what we do. That's the law of Moses. The purposes of the law is to help us see we can't do it. It is not to make us feel good. It is to make us feel bad. So then we look to Jesus, see that He paid the price for us, and then we feel great. Not just okay, great. Because now Jesus did what we couldn't do. He saved us from the law of Moses, which condemns us. Got it? And so then he warns them, don't reject this message. In verses 13, 40, and 41, Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish. For I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells you. 
See, this is all through the Old Testament. When your friends, family, and neighbors who are super smart atheists reject the truths of the Scriptures, they are proving themselves to be fools. And they're going to perish. They will go to hell. So let's take a moment, and I just want to encourage you that any PhD with alphabet soup behind it, and they're an atheist and they reject the Scripture, they cannot count. They cannot do logic. One plus one only equals two unless it becomes moral. Then they cannot rationally, logically, they can't deliver um, right thinking because they're broken. When your moral compass is broken, you cannot count. All right? You cannot count. Literally. So let me, and here's two examples of it. Um, Atheists reject all evidence, right? Now, I I encourage you to listen to this. The Bible-thumping wingnut, all right? He's got a website, and he gets the fellow who wrote the website, karm.org, which this guy's an apologetist. His name is Matt Slick. And uh, well-educated apologetists for Christians, uh, you know, for Jesus. And they'll YouTube a debate between, you know, and this one I'm highlighting is Matt Slick versus Matt uh, Delahunte. And it's not polished debate. It's not all whitewashed by, you know, um, public television or whatever. It's... But it's not... There's no swearing. It's very clean. It's very civil. But one of the things that the atheist, this Matt guy here, always says is that, um, you, you know, give me some evidence that your God exists. And no matter what the Christian would give him... Every bit of evidence was just put us... No, you can't use that. You can't use that. You can't use that. You can't use that. Nothing. So then it said, what type of evidence would you be looking for? Would you want for me to prove that God exists? I don't know. But whatever you gave me is unacceptable. Alright? They can't grasp what's obvious. One of the things that is insanely obvious... One of those dancing on your head obvious ones is the design designer model of the universe. All right? When we look at a pulpit or our mobile devices, nobody thinks it was an accident that crawled out of a mud puddle a billion years ago. Our houses, no one thinks that was an accident. Anything, of course, and these are simple designs, but the moment you hit true complexity, of designed organisms like humans are, you know, Caitlin and I were talking about how the body self-heals itself. How does evolution explain that? And when you get to the nitty-gritty that those cells are little nanorobots that happen to have a blueprint of what your body is supposed to look like at that cut, and they bring it up. There's a blueprint! Start patching it back together! And they're rebuilding your body. Evolution has no explanation for that. They can't unless it's designer design. But evolutionists believe in something very illogical called, um, well, it breaks the law of non-contradiction. So they believe in purposeless purpose. So yes, if your body is designed to do that by accident, that doesn't even make sense. You can't even put that on the table and call yourself intelligent. But they do that because they're broken and immoral and all of a sudden one plus one equals five. Because they can't 
can't do it. Humans without Christ are dead in sin, they're objects of wrath, and their future is hell. It is only by the mercy and grace of Jesus that anyone gets to go to heaven. We're all zombies, and we can't do anything right. Okay? That's not to encourage you, other than to encourage us all to repent. Bill Nye, just the other week, poor guy, uses dog speciation to argue evolution. Because, you know, they went to, uh, in uh, Russia, they were able to take silver fox and in 50 years, turn them into your family dog. By breeding them, and the, the ones that were friendlier to people, they breed them and breed them. And so now you have two different types of foxes that they bred. Foxes that want nothing more to do than to eat your face off, because they're insanely violent to humans. And then you have other uh, silver foxes that just want ki- to lick your face off, right? So now they're bringing them home as pets. They're starting to get curly tails. They're starting to get floppy ears. They domesticated the fox in 50 years by speciation. Did the dogs turn into chickens? Did the dogs turn into people? The dogs remained dogs. Alright? Because all dogs create what? When dogs get together and make baby dogs, what are they? They, they do not make ostriches, do they? Right. From a dog comes a dog. From a cat comes a cat. Okay? Bill Nye can't see that. And he's claiming to be a scientist. Okay? He can't do it. One of his videos that got over 2 million views, even more than that now, he literally said, the secret to evolution is time. Time. Now, even though the law of entropy, the law of entropy says everything's breaking down, he says, given enough time, more information will be added to your DNA and you'll grow wings. He didn't literally say that, but the principle's there. Right? But that doesn't make any sense. Over time, our DNA is degrading. And that's why God, you know, that's why we're not supposed to marry our sisters or our cousins. You're supposed to go out there and get fresh DNA to keep things perpetuating. Because just like a photocopy, if you don't get new data, it's just going to degradate, degradate, degradate. All right? That's law. Bill Nye rejects it all and he's unable to see it. Here's, here's a trick for you. Let's see if you can recognize this. Here's an atheist argument. Okay? Morality is doing what is right regardless of what you are told. Religion is doing what you are told regardless of what is right. Ooh, isn't that smart atheist thinking, right? What's wrong with that? At first I was like, no mean atheist. But then it's like, oh. What's wrong with that statement? What truth is the atheist borrowing to make their lie? Everyone's thinking. What truth is the atheist borrowing to make their lie? That's a hint. It's in the first half. It's up in here. It's the, the secret's right up in here. In order for the devil to lie, he has to use some of God's truth. You can't just make a lie with no truth in it. It won't stand. Okay, well, I gave you all time to contemplate it. So, here's what it is. Morality is doing what is right. What is right to an atheist? Whatever they feel like. Whatever they feel like. They don't have a standard of righteousness. 
How can an atheist even say this? They can't even say that. They're stealing from God to make a lie. That is absolutely illogical for an atheist to say anything is right because they have no standard of righteousness. They're assuming there's a universal truth of right and wrong. How can there be a universal truth of right and wrong if the universe is an explosion of accidents? That does... Go on! Right? That's the delusion or the lie of them. One plus one equals... To an atheist. Do you understand? And that's the type of tricks, that's the subtlety they're going to use. That's why it's been said an atheist has to climb into the lap of God to slap him in the face. You literally need the truths of God to make your lies. And that's atheist thinking right there and all its illogical, irrational, evil, God-hating. So the big picture, I want to encourage you with this. And we'll be done in just five more minutes, so hang in there. Um, When you step back and get a better picture of the world view, don't just look at America and listen to Fox News and say, oh, whoa, the world is going apostasy to God. The churches, Americans are leaving the churches by flocks and groves. And oh, the world's coming to an end. America is not the world. All right? We're a blip on the radar. We're a little spark. And then we're gone. We're 200 plus years old. When Israel took over Canaan, they were there 450 years before God sent the first judge in. All right? So we need to step back and look at world history, not American history. And we are a little, a little drop in the bucket of the grace of God. That in this little country that was built on God's foundational principles, people could freely hear the gospel for at least two centuries or a little bit more and get the gospel in freedom and give that to the world as a blessing as part of God's big plan in history. Alright? we got to look bigger. we got to get out of our backyards and see the bigger picture to know that you're not a Christian because you're an American and if America goes down, God and Christianity is going to go on. Right? we got to see the bigger picture and look beyond. And that's the whole point of atheism in the sense that this isn't a new thing with, with atheists and, and or countries turning against God. That's been the history of the world, countries turning against God. But God in every one of those countries has seasoned it with his people, like the folks in Pawpaw. And we have a job to proclaim that. All right, I'm going to wrap up here with this. So, um, this is 2 Thessalonians. Obviously, I jumped way off into 2 Thessalonians now. And uh, just to encourage you with this, and then we'll be done. Now, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to Him, we ask you, brothers... Now, I put it in parentheses. They're concerned that they missed the return of Christ. Oh, did Jesus come back? Did we miss it? And Paul's addressing that. Not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes 
and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes a seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? Um, And now you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed at his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all the wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe in the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now let's unpack that. So basically, the devil's got a plan and God's stopping him from doing it. The plan is this. Reveal an Antichrist, take over the world as its leader. Remember, the devil even tempted Jesus to say, hey, if you bow down and worship me, I'll make you the leader of the world. Of course, Jesus is the leader of the universe. So that wasn't that tempting. All right? But so now he's scheming and he's waiting. And, and as even John writes, even now many antichrists have come. God's holding Satan back in this thing. He's like, yeah, I'm not done with the world yet. You just stay right there. And the devil's like, I want to reveal my antichrist. I want to bring him up. I want to take over. I want to do this. I want to... Not yet. I'm going to save this person. I'm going to save that person. I'm going to save that person. And at the end, devil, we're gonna, I'm going to let you have your way. And as he lets him go, Antichrist is revealed. You have the Left Behind movies, so whatever, right? All that stuff. And what's going on here, and it's happening in our day with the atheists or the friends, family, and neighbors of yours that say, I'm just going to let God judge me on how I live my life, whether good or bad. That person is in stark rebellion to God. That's a good sign. They need to repent. Um, But even in Romans 1, God gave them over three times. So... The worst thing you, you want from, your, from God is to let Him let go of you and to let you go off into your sin because um, that's what it means that God sends them strong delusions so that may, they may believe a lie. It's the same way He hardened Pharaoh's heart so that He could reveal His glory. It didn't matter what God did to Pharaoh. Pharaoh, forget it. I'm bigger, tougher than God and you're going to do what I say, Moses and Israel and God. All right? Humans, without the grace and mercy of God, will fight God to the bitter end. All right? Now, let me point that out. Is that fair of God? Is that fair? Because who can stand before God? Well, no one can. It is fair. As a matter of fact, it's justice. Everyone receives justice. Now, the question is, does everyone receive Do you want God's justice or do you want God's grace and mercy? I want God's grace and mercy. I don't want His justice because justice means I pay for my sins. Grace and mercy means Jesus pays for my sins. Do you understand? We don't want the justice of God. We want His grace and mercy. However, God's grace and mercy is based on the foundation of God's justice. (laughs) 
because someone has to die for the evil you did this week, for the evil I did this week. Understand? It's either going to be you or Jesus. All right? So there's a lot more. I'm going to end right there. Let's pray. Uh, Thank you, Jesus, for the depth of revealing the sovereignty, the holiness of God to us. And as Christians, may we receive this truth in fear and trembling, rightly so. Because you owe us justice. But through Jesus Christ, we receive mercy and grace. And Father, that we would understand these words of God's, which is mercy and grace from you. And that we would share them with others, this mercy and grace from you. So that they might not receive your justice but might receive mercy through Christ. Please use us as your vessels to give you glory this week. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. There's some food for thought. Please visit thespeakandeacon.com and get connected to the growing number of social media Christians. Thespeakandeacon.com. Truth is here.